a beautiful song. Beautiful song. Not just the melody, but the lyrics. Just amazing. Let's go to Ruth chapter 3. Hopefully you've been following with us, following along with us in the book of Ruth. If not, it's not too late. We've still got two more chapters. You can read it in one sitting. 85 verses. Most of it's dialogue. The, uh, the, the author chooses the, the, uh, the device of, of dialogue to kind of carry the narrative along. So I'm going to read the, uh, the first four verses of Ruth chapter 3 and then I'm going to uh, pray. Verse 1. Ruth 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. My goodness, what's in store as we get ready to read? What does all this stuff mean? I think the Lord will help us to unpack this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. <laughs> thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I thank you for those who are here. I thank you for those who are watching on Facebook, those who are listening on the FM transmitter. Thank you for those who are listening on a CD somewhere in another place in another time. God, may your word do its work. We know that it will never return void. And so I just confess that you are Lord this is your service this is your church I might be a shepherd but you are the good shepherd and I just confess that you are worthy of praise worthy of glory worthy of honor and I want to be a vessel in your hand and I ask you to add your blessing to the reading of the word in Jesus name and all God's people said amen all right glad you're here this morning glad to gave Miss Deborah a day off today Good to see Bill back with us. Glad to see Will and, and Maddie and her friend here from college. And I don't want to leave him. I'm glad Philip's here all the way from Suwannee, Georgia. And uh, so many beautiful faces here. I just love each one of you. Thank you for being here today to hear God's word. Uh, this, this, this story has suffered a lot at the hands of the commentators over the years. Okay? And so uh, as we read this, we see Naomi's got a plan. And it's hard when you read that not to hear Reba McIntyre somewhere in the background. Here's your one chance fancy, don't let me down, 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 down. I take it y'all have heard that song before. <laughs> and I'm not sure what Naomi <laughs> had envisioned here. But this is anything but a sordid affair, and and that may disappoint some of you. But this is not, this is not the, uh, the the stuff that soap operas are made of. 
not at all. It's a godly uh, thing, and we're going we're gonna to unpack this. I, and I'm going to show you, I think beyond a shadow of a doubt, that there's nothing unholy that took place in the threshing floor. And also, I want to apologize, and my wife made it abundantly clear to me that I pretty much ruined the story for you last week by telling you what the rabbis think, that, that uh, Boaz was 80 years old and that Ruth was 40. And uh, just throw all that out the window. I mean, the girls got married young back then. They got married when they were about 15 years old. There was 10 years uh, in Moab. They came back. She's probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years old, Boaz. He's still vital enough to go back and forth to town, and he's winnowing here in the barley harvest. He's threshing the grain. He's not, you know, drinking insure and wearing depends. I mean, he's, he's getting around. So, uh, so just forgive me <laughs> for doing my part to spoil the narrative for you, and, uh, and let's just try to see these wonderful characters here. Um, Naomi is trusting God. Boaz is trusting God. And Ruth is trusting God. And, you know, that's, that's about all we can do. And if you'll do that, you'll never be disappointed. So let's look at the plan. Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? I want you to see that a change has taken place in Naomi. She's not bitter anymore. Uh, she was bitter in the first chapter, right? She said, Don't call me Naomi anymore, which means beautiful or pleasant, but call me what? Mara, which means bitter. And we saw last week that her bitterness had begun to, uh, to kind of change, and now she's becoming better. And now we see that she's concerned for the welfare of Ruth. Now, Ruth has been concerned for the welfare of Naomi. It's beautiful, beautiful story. But, but now Naomi is concerned for the welfare of Ruth. And she says, shall I not seek rest for you? Now, the Hebrew expresses this idea that she wants Ruth to have security. She wants her to have a home and presumably a husband. And we know that from verse 2. She says, And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast. Behold, he winnows barley tonight in the threshing floor. So I'm going to have to go through some things, and I apologize for being, uh, maybe going through some, some remedial stuff here, but but maybe we're not familiar with some of these customs, like, you know, uncovering feet and threshing floors. By the way, threshing floor is not some enclosed area, okay? And that was kind of a misconception a lot of people have. But, but first, the first idea here is that Boaz is a kindred. He's a kinsman. Now, the Hebrew word for this is goel, uh, kinsman redeemer. This is a theme throughout the book of Ruth. It is probably the major theme of the book of Ruth is that there's a kinsman redeemer, and Jesus Christ is that, uh, he is that kinsman redeemer. There was three qualifications one had to meet to be a kinsman redeemer. Number one, he had to be uh, of a close kin. Uh, number two, he had to have the means to pay the price. And number three, he had to be willing to pay the price. And our Savior was all three. Uh, he, he is our kinsman redeemer. He became one of us. That's what Christmas is all about. He became one of us. And uh, Bethlehem, the baby in Bethlehem, always anticipates the the Savior on the cross at Calvary. That's, he came to die, not just to be a baby in a manger. He's able to pay the price. He's the only one qualified to redeem us because he's the only one who could offer a sinless sacrifice to the Father. And he was willing. Uh, the cross was not a tragedy. It was an accomplishment. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Jesus said, my hour 
uh, had not yet come. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down, and if I lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. Don't get me shouting. But he, he, went, he came willingly. He, he said, I came in the volume of the book it's written to me to do thy will. Oh, God. All right. So Boaz is a goel. He's a near kinsman redeemer. You can read about this in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10. I'm not going to go through that again this week. Maybe next week we'll visit this. But there was a procedure in the law that if a woman had become widowed and she had no children, that, that the brother of the dead man would, uh, would raise up seed and preserve the family name, preserve the, the man's name that had died. And this is the law of the kinsman redeemer. It's also referred to as the leveret marriage, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E, leveret. And it comes from the Latin word levir, which means husband's brother or brother-in-law. Okay, but you're not going to be quizzed on that. But, but what about this idea of, uh, of the threshing floor here? Now, this was the barley harvest. This was the, uh, the time when they were, had gathered in the, the grain. And presumably, now some of you farmers might know better than I do on this kind of stuff. But I'm told, and I read, that the common procedure to separate the grain from the stalk, they would have an animal, maybe an ox, to, to tread upon the grain. And then they would go to this place called the threshing floor. And the threshing floor, again, was not an enclosed barn, but it was a place on a hill, a flat place on a hill. And what they would do is they would use a winnowing fork. Uh, you may have read in, in uh, the Gospels, talks about Jesus Christ. I think John the Baptist said his fan is in his hand. And it's not a fan that we use to keep cool, but it's a, it's a winnowing fork. And this is the process here. And what they would do, the breeze would blow. They'd be up on this hill, and the breeze in Israel would blow from late afternoon, from afternoon until sunset, sundown. And that breeze would blow, and they would take that winnowing fork and throw up the grain in the air, and the chaff and, and would blow away, and the grain would drop down. Okay? And this was a joyous time. And God had commanded the people to rejoice at the time of, uh, of the threshing uh, of the barley harvest. He had, God had commanded to rejoice. And I think sometimes we are so far removed from the whole process of how we get food that we're not thankful enough for the farmers. Uh, perhaps you've heard that great little clip, audio clip, God Made a Farmer. And uh, if you haven't, I encourage you to Google it, not right now, but listen to it uh, at your leisure. God Made a Farmer. Thank God for farmers. Uh, our foods, I think some of our children just think that food just, uh, just appears in the grocery store or somewhere. But, but it, it starts in a, a farmer. It it's, works hard. And there's a harvest, and we're to rejoice. And remember, there's been a time of famine. There's been a time of famine, and now God has visited Bethlehem and given them uh, a harvest. And, and so it's a joyous time. And so he's winnowing barley. Now, this was important enough. Now, Boaz is a wealthy man, right? We've already, we've already read that. He's a rich landowner. But here he is. He is winnowing the barley himself. This was a responsibility that he would not uh, just leave casually in the hands of one of his, his hired servants. And he's doing this himself. And apparently, Naomi knows that this night that he will be here himself. And so she's got a plan. Now, verse 3, she instructs her to do three things. Well, more than that, but, but three I'm going to focus on. Number one, wash yourself. And water was not in abundant supply. As it, you know, we, just turn, we take it for granted. My well broke on me a few weeks ago, and 
I tell you what, when your well stops working, you, you realize how much you take for granted running water. And I know some of you are on county water, and, and uh, when the water comes up, cuts off, it gets your attention real quick. And you realize how much water you use on a daily basis. But wash yourself, anoint you, or in other words, put perfume on, and put your raiment upon thee. Now, I was joking about, you know, here's your one chance fancy, don't let me down. The, the idea here is not that she's getting all gussied up in some kind of seductive uh, clothes to get the attention of all the men in the city. Matter of fact, we know this is not true because she's trying to go in incognito. The whole point is she's going for anonymity. She's not trying to stick out uh, like, a, like a sore thumb, as it were. Interesting, and I did some study on this, and uh, there's a parallel to this, and you don't have to turn there, and I'd, I'd rather you didn't because I don't want a bunch of flipping of pages. But over in 2 Samuel 12, verse 20, there's a story. You, you're familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. It's not one of David's highlights. But the two of them had an illicit relationship, and a child was conceived. And this baby was sick, and the baby died. And, uh, and the baby died, and David was mourning. And after a period of mourning, it says that he washed himself, he anointed himself, and he changed his clothes. So, uh, again, using Scripture, comparing Scripture with Scripture, this is, I believe, synonymous with a change from a period of mourning to a time of festivity, a time of uh, worship and enjoyment. And so, symbolically, what Naomi is saying to Ruth, I believe, it's time for you to put off your garments of mourning. You're not going to be a widow anymore. You're going to be a bride. Okay? And that's important. She's putting these off, uh, putting off her, her mourning garments and putting on the garment of, a, of a, uh, a bride. And she says, And get down to the floor, the threshing floor, but make not yourself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Okay? And it shall be, when he lieth down, that you shall mark the place where he shall lie. And, and why does she say this? Well, because she doesn't want her laying down at the wrong person's feet. It's dark. They didn't have electricity then. They didn't have light bulbs. And, and so uh, she, she needs to carefully you know, make sure she's at the right place at the right time. And you shall go in and uncover his feet. Now, she's not uncovering, you know, the upper part of the bed and getting in the bed and snuggling up next to him. That's not what's going on, on at all. She's uncovering his feet, which is a picture of submission. She's coming to the feet. And remember, Boaz is the kinsman redeemer. Our Lord is the Lord of the harvest. And how do we come to him? We come to his feet. We come uh, humbly to his feet. So it's a, it's a place of submission here. You shall uncover his feet. And lay down. Now I want you to underscore this in verse 4. It says, he will tell you what to do. She's leaving the onus or the initiative with Boaz here. Now that's not how this is going to play out. But she says, Boaz is going to tell you what to do. Okay. Now does this sound like a rock solid plan to you? I'm not sure. <laughs> I mean, this could go any number of ways, couldn't it? I mean, it could go sideways. This woman's going to go in the middle of the night and lay down at this man's feet and surprise him. 
and, uh, and we're going to see he's going to have a rude awakening here in just a moment. But he's going to tell you what to do. Now look at, look at verse 5. It's, uh, Ruth says unto her, all that you say unto me, I will do. This is the heart of a servant. This is the heart of obedience. This is what God is looking for from you and I. Someone that will say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Uh, I may not understand why you're telling me to do this. I may not be able to figure out all the logistics of it. And Lord knows this could go a hundred different ways. It might not go the way I want it to go. The outcomes are unpredictable. But Lord, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I'm going to do. Okay? And God is going to, he's going to put us in those situations from time to time. And I don't know about you, but I'm not big on surprises. Uh, now, now, you know, sometimes I am. But when it comes to the big things in life, I don't like surprises. I like to know what I'm getting into. And this could go any number of ways, but she says, whatever you say to me, that's what I'm going to do. And indeed she did in verse 6. It says, she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. So far, so good. We're going, the plan is going according to the schedule. She's set off in the night, and she's put on this garment, and probably this cloak, as we're going to see, it's probably a cloak. It's not her best Sunday dress, okay? It's probably a cloak, something that she can wrap herself up in, and she's just going to kind of blend in. Nobody's going to say, "Woo, look at, who is that coming to the threshing floor? She's just, she's incognito, right? And she's coming here, and uh, she's going to come to Boaz. Now, it says in verse 7, when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. Okay. Do, do not get the picture here that Boaz is sloppy, drunk, inebriated here. After all, the whole reason he's at the threshing floor is to guard the harvest. He's there to guard it from being stolen. That's why, that's why he sleeps. But I, I left that out when I was talking about the threshing floor. This is why Boaz is sleeping with the heap of grain and not back home in bed. Okay? If he was going to get drunk, he'd just lay in bed, let somebody else watch over the, the stuff. But he's guarding the grain, okay? So the idea here is not that Boaz is just, you know, three sheets in the wind, and, and uh, that, that's just not going on at all. But his heart was merry. Why is his heart merry? Well, because he's enjoying the harvest. He's, uh, he's got a good thing going here. God's blessed him, and he's got a crop here, a bumper crop, and it's a time of festivity. And, uh, and aren't you happy when you got a good meal got your belly full uh, yeah sure you are sure you are and and, uh, and what happens if you're like me after you eat and you get still what happens you go to sleep that's going to happen sometime today I'm a prophet I'm prophesying that some somewhere today <laughs> some of you are going to eat and get your belly full and and drink your sweet tea or whatever and you're going to sit down and uh, sleep is just going to overtake you. You're not going to have to plan for it. You're not going to have to stress about it. You're going to go to sleep, okay? So he went down to lie down at the end of the heap of corn because he's guarding it. And it says she came softly and then covered his feet and laid her down. Now, uh, now my daughter and, and son-in-law are here today, and my baby was crying. You heard him, and she just took him out. But... Uh, <laughs> But A.J. and Abby know what it is to walk softly. When you got a baby in the house, you learn how to walk softly, don't you? You, you do everything you can. And Grandma, Grandpa, when you got the baby there, you do everything you can to get that baby to sleep, right? And then you just tiptoe out of the room. And then, all you, and then you bump into something on the way, and it's like, ah, wah, wah, wah. 
takes forever to get him to sleep, and all it takes is a pin drop to wake him up. And so she's going softly. She's, she's, uh, she's very carefully. She went down <laughs> softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Now, why is she uncovering his feet? Well, at some point in time, that wind is going to blow, and guess what? His feet are going to get cold, and he's going to wake up. And that's, that's the whole point here. He's, she's laying down at his feet. She's uncovered him because there's going to be a conversation that's going to take place under the, uh, the cover of darkness, but it's not anything sordid at all. And it came to pass at midnight <clears throat> that the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Well, that would scare you too, wouldn't it? Be afraid. Uh, you know, the Bible's full of rude awakenings. Adam went to sleep, and he woke up missing a rib, and he had a partner. That's a rude awakening. Jacob got married, got in a tent with his wife, and woke up with a wrong woman. That's a rude awakening, amen? <laughs> and now Boaz wakes up in the dark, his feet are cold, and whoa, there's a woman here at my feet. <laughs> That's a rude awakening. How's this thing going to go? Well, God's in control. So it's going to go okay. And he said, who are you? Who are you? You know, up until now, every time Ruth gets mentioned, she's not just Ruth, she's Ruth the Moabite, the Moabitess. About the only one who's got a, a rougher time, I guess, is Rahab. Poor thing, she can't catch a break. She's always Rahab the harlot. Anytime she's mentioned in the Bible. You know, God uses the most unlikely people. That means people just like you and me. <laughs> Ordinary folks. Uh, people that have a past. Some of you don't have a past. You were born with a halo on your head. For the rest of us, I'm glad that God gives us second chances and third chances. And a hundred chances. His mercies are new every day. And I don't deserve to be here preaching the gospel today. I'm here by divine grace, sovereign grace. And I don't, I don't take that for granted for a minute. Because I know where he brought me from. And I know if I take my eyes off of him, where I could go back to. If I start drifting away. That's, we've been studying about that in Hebrews. You need to be here on Wednesday night. Talked about the danger of drifting. Drifting just happens a little bit at the time, you know. And before you know it, you're, you're way out in the deep somewhere. And the current has, has carried you away. But he said, who are you? And the title of my message today, I've been alliterative for the past two weeks. Bitter in Bethlehem, bitterness to betterness. Not today. Today the title of my message is, I am Ruth. And that's what she says. Who are you? He, she says, I am Ruth. I used to be identified with Moab and all of that stuff, you know. We've talked about that in weeks past. That used to be how I associated myself was as a Moabitess. But, but not tonight. I want you to know that I am Ruth, your handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a, in the Hebrew is a goel, a near kinsman. Now, let me explain this 
to you because I know there might be some confusion. What is the whole, what is this whole thing about spreading a skirt over, over uh, Ruth? Well, the word translated skirt is the Hebrew word kanaf, kanaf. Sometimes it's translated as wing. You could use those words interchangeably. The Bible translates it as wing and also as skirt. Now, in Ezekiel 16, verse 8, God talks about how he covered Israel with his skirt. I'm not going to read that. But in Ezekiel 16, God uses that as a metaphor for taking Israel as his bride. Okay? I want you to look back in Ruth chapter 2. And I want you to notice what, uh, what Boaz says in verse 12. But look what Boaz says to Ruth. The Lord, Jehovah, recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings. It's the same Hebrew word, kanaf. Same word. Translated skirt. Same word. And remember, that was Boaz's prayer for Ruth. Under whose wings you have come to trust. So what is Ruth now saying? She's saying to Boaz, you are about to answer your own prayer. You're about, to, you're about to become the answer to your own prayer. I want you now, just as I've come to trust under the wing of Jehovah, and we still use that in our language today, don't we? We still talk about taking somebody under our wing. That's, you know, what, what does that mean? It means we're going to watch over them, protect them, help them. And, uh, and that's what she's saying is I want to come under your wing. Ruth is doing something rather outrageous. She's proposing marriage to Boaz. She popped the question to Boaz right here. Some of you don't real, may not realize that as you're reading the story, but Ruth is proposing to Boaz. How many of you remember the Sadie Hawkins dance? A few? And, and most of you know it, and you're not raising your hand because you're like, this is an old people joke. I'm not going to do it. I'm not falling for it. And all the young people are like, what? Sadie, what? The Sadie, the Sadie Hawkins dance, it reversed the normal protocol of things. Because in the Sadie Hawkins dance, did I say that right, Sadie Hawkins? You all right like I'm talking, you know, Babylonian or something? <laughs> Little Abner, is that where it came from? I, I'm, not, I'm not old enough to remember that, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but in that, the girl asked the boy out to the dance instead of the boy asking the girl the girl asked the boy that's what happens here is the girl's asking the boy and she says spread your skirt over your handmaid for you are a near kinsman she's put off the garments of mourning she's put on she's anointed herself like a bride she's put on the the garment the mantle and Boaz understands exactly what she's saying and I know that because I can read his words here in verse 10. He says, blessed be thou of the Lord. There's nothing sordid going on here. He's praising Jehovah. He's praising. It's a worship time. He said, blessed be you of the Lord, my daughter. And again, we see the age difference here. He says, for you have shown more kindness. There's that Hebrew word chesed that we keep uh, coming across. This is the third time it's used in the book of Ruth, probably the last time, if my calculations are correct. Kindness. You've shown more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. Well, what was the kindness at the beginning? It was the kindness that she had shown to her mother-in-law, Naomi, that he spoke about earlier. Now her kindness is being repaid. 
And I would suggest to you that if you, are, if you would be a person of loving kindness and tender mercy, then you will not go unpaid either. It will come back to you. Given it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall it be given unto you. Now, how is the kindness being shown here at the last, Boaz says? Because she did not follow the young men, whether poor or rich. Well, what does that tell us? Well, it tells us that Boaz acknowledges that Ruth could have had any man she wanted. She could have had a young guy. There was, uh, she had made a, a righteous choice. This whole thing is a righteous choice. The whole thing is. It's a virtuous, righteous thing. Nothing sorted about it at all. And, uh, and, and if you're Boaz, you know, maybe he thought, I don't have a chance with this young girl. Because we wonder, why has Boaz not pursued her until now? Well, maybe, number one, he thought that he didn't have a chance with her. Maybe he thought he wasn't in the running. Hey, don't ever underestimate what God can do in your life. Some of you may think, well, well some of the, we have singles here. We have widows and widowers. And, and some of you may think, well, you know, what, would anybody ever want to be with me? Why would they want to be with me? Well, I could give you a hundred reasons. I, if you ever get discouraged, I'll tell you all the good things that I know about you and encourage you. And God knows things that I don't know about you. And don't, don't ever, you don't have to settle. Listen to me. Don't ever settle in a relationship. Young people, please listen to me. Don't settle in a relationship. Because God has a Boaz for every Ruth, and he has a Ruth for every Boaz. He has a godly person for you. Don't settle. Don't. There's no such thing as evangelistic or missionary dating. Oh, I'll, I'll start dating this guy that don't believe, and I'll make him a believer. No, that's not how it works. He's going to drag you down and make your life miserable. Guys, don't, don't date the one girl and say, well, she's not a believer, or she's kind of a half-hearted believer, but I know that if we start dating, I'll get her to church, and, and she'll start living right. Nope, that's not how it works. You don't believe it? Ask Solomon. He was supposedly the smartest guy that ever lived, but he started marrying all these women that didn't love the Lord. And guess what? He's bound himself down to false gods. If it could happen to Solomon, it could happen to you or me. He said, you've shown more kindness. And I think maybe, just maybe, and I'm, I'm just putting my little two cents worth here, but I think secretly Boaz is going, Yes! Yes, I still got it. <laughs> At least that's what I'd be doing. <laughs> yeah. I'd be walking around like the boogie woogie man coming on Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Ooh, 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 okay. <laughs> that's back when wrestling was real. <laughs> Jimmy Valiant, remember him? Yes, sir. Ric Flair, put you in the figure four. <laughs> All right, keep going, Henry. Don't get silly here. <clears throat> and now, my daughter, fear not. Notice Boaz understands what she's asking here. He doesn't say, honey, why don't you just climb up on in here <laughs> with me? <laughs> he understands the gravity of what she's asking. She's asking for a marriage proposal. Fear not, I will do to you all that you require. Now, notice at the end of verse 11. Please notice this. For all the city of my people doth know that you're a virtuous woman. You're not somebody that's just out to seduce an old man. You're not somebody looking for a one-night stand. Now, the word virtuous here is also translated of Boaz. 
He was, in chapter 1, Boaz is called a mighty man of wealth in the Hebrew, but the word is also translated virtue. So here you have a virtuous man and a virtuous woman. Interestingly enough, I know you don't care about this stuff, but I just want to tell you anyway. In the Hebrew Bible, in the Tanakh, their Bible is organized differently than ours is. In our Bible, Ruth appears as an appendix to what? The book of Judges. It's in between Judges and Samuel. And it fits the chronology well. And it is a, um, a contrast, if you will, with the book of Judges, where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. But in the Hebrew Bible, in the Tanakh, Ruth comes immediately after Proverbs. Now, why is that interesting? Do you know what the last chapter of the book of Proverbs talks about? Say it louder. A virtuous woman. Yes, indeed. Is it any wonder that when the Bible speaks of a virtuous woman, Ruth is the embodiment of all of those attributes? Read Proverbs 31 again and read it with Ruth in mind and see if she doesn't seem like the inspiration behind all of that uh, verbiage about a virtuous woman. Now, notice Boaz. Now, she's only been in town for a little while, you know, a few months, right? She just arrived from Moab. But notice Boaz says, everybody knows. The whole town knows what kind of woman you are. Wow. You know, that's true today. People know what kind of person you are. They know if you're a person of virtue or they know if you're a person of ill repute. You can hide it for so long. Wouldn't it be amazing? Uh, parents, you need to raise men like Boaz. If you got a, you got a son or a grandson, raise him to be like Boaz, a man who respects women, a man who seeks to honor women, a man who seeks to provide for women, a man who seeks to respect, show respect and kindness and love and support and be a shelter for that woman. Raise that kind of a son. And if you're raising a daughter, raise a daughter like Ruth. One who's not afraid of hard work. One who realizes that, that inner beauty transcends outer beauty. And I'm sure Ruth probably was a beautiful woman. I mean, I, you can kind of read between the lines that she was probably an attractive lady. But the real thing that made Ruth beautiful was what was on the inside. And let me tell you what, you get a woman that's so full of Jesus that it spills out, she becomes irresistible. You want to become irresistible? Get full of the Holy Spirit. Begin to fear the Lord and worship Him. And same for you guys. Same for you. All right. One quick note here. One, one final reason, and I believe in the integrated design of Scripture. I believe that the Bible, all those books of the Bible, are one story. They're not fragmented, you know, compartmentalized narratives and, and, and dialogues. The Bible is one integrated design, and it's written by someone who's outside of time and space, a.k.a. God, the Holy Spirit. And I believe, now this, I didn't get this out of somebody's book, so you can take it or leave it. This, this is something that I believe I've come to, the Lord has shown me. I believe that we are to read this story with two other stories to contrast it with. Number one is the origin of Moab. How did Moab begin? It began in a cave with Lot, and it's two, it's two daughters, right? And so you have the oldest daughter who gets Lot drunk and Lot doesn't even know what planet he's on and he wakes up and he's already uh, conceived a baby, an incestuous relationship, and Moab is born, okay? The other story, I believe, is in Genesis 38. The other one's Genesis 19. That's Lot. Genesis 38, there's a story of a man named Judah who's an ancestor of Boaz, by the way, 
And he marries a Canaanite woman, an outsider. Um, and his sons die. And he refuses to give his other son to Tamar to raise up seed. And this was before the law of the Leveret. This is prior to, to um, the giving of the law. But what does Tamar do? She takes matters into her own hands, and she pretends to be a harlot, a prostitute, and she seduces uh, Judah. So I believe we have here the ancestor of Ruth, Moab, and we have the ancestor of Boaz, Judah, and we see this story as completely opposite, whereas those were sordid affairs. I mean, those were unclean things that ought not to be said or done. And here, this is the picture of virtue. I don't care what the world says. You and I can still be sexually pure. I believe we can be. I believe we can raise young men and women that are sexually pure, even in a culture that says if it feels good, do it, even though they're bombarded with pornographic images day after day after day. And it's not just in the dirty magazines uh, or the Internet, but it's on the commercials. Uh, skin is in, right? And in a, in a culture that exalts immodesty, why don't we follow the example of Boaz and Ruth? All right. Verse 12. And now it is true that I am your, your goel, your, your near kinsman. But we got a problem. He said, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Every great love story has a conflict, right? Every movie that you watch... Boy meets girl, and they love each other. But then somewhere along the way, boy loses girl. <laughs> and then boy gets girl back. That's, that's the making of a great romance, right, is there's a conflict. So we've got a problem. But how many of you know there's no problem too big for God to solve? And when God's in it, you ain't got to worry about it because it's going to work out. Some of us need to quit stressing. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there before we're, before we're done. There is a problem, though. There's a kinsman near. There's a goel. Who's nearer than me? And you're going to love how that plays out next week, Lord willing. You're just going to love it. <clears throat> Verse 13. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well. You notice Boaz didn't say, let me pray about this. He didn't say, I need some time to think about it. <laughs> he, he said, we're going to take care of this tomorrow. <laughs> he said, if you'll do the part of the kinsman well, but if he will not do the part of the kinsman to you, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee. And he says, as the Lord liveth, lie down until the morning. So he wants her to realize the severity and the sincerity of his words by basically taking an oath in the name of the Lord Jehovah. Verse 14, notice where she stayed all night long, not snuggled up next to him, not doing anything immoral, but where did she stay? She stayed at his feet until the morning. And he's been out working all day. They probably didn't smell that great either. <laughs> they didn't have odor eaters back in that day. <laughs> I, I'm reading into the text. I'm sorry. I just wanted to, you know, get, get you thinking about all these things. Th these are real people. You know, these are real life scenarios. And here she is laying at his feet until the morning. And she rose up before one another, before one could know another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Most commentators believe that this is a prayer. He's not giving Ruth instructions here. That he's saying, God, please, please don't let this go sideways. Let, don't. Why is that? Well, it's because gossipers, 
Gossipers are usually not concerned with facts, are they? They're just, they love breaking news. Did you see that Ruth's car was parked outside of Boaz's house all night? It was there last night, and when I drove by this morning, it was still there. You know, human nature is no different, is it? No different. And I could go through a million scenarios now and just get all funny, and I'm not going to because we're running short on our, our time this morning. But uh, he said, Lord, let it not be known that a woman came unto the floor. He's concerned about her reputation. He's concerned about it. He's also concerned about his reputation. Integrity. Integrity, you know, your reputation, maybe I should say it this way, your reputation is what people think you are. But your character is who you really are. That's, that's when nobody's looking. These two have won the battle when nobody was looking except Jehovah. All right. Here's the good stuff. And he said, bring the veil that you have upon you and hold it. And when she held it, he measured how many? Interesting. Not seven, not five, not three. He measured six measures of barley. And he laid it on her, presumably on her head. That's how she would have carried the grain. He lays it on her, and she went into the city. All right. So picture now, he's measured out six measures of grain. Probably not six ephahs, which would have been a, a lot to carry on your head. Probably six seahs. Put it on her head, and she's carrying this back to town. All the while hoping nobody saw her. Trying to, you know, maintain her anonymity. Now in verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, who are you, my daughter? Now did Naomi forget to take her Prevagen? Her ginkgo biloba, is that what's going on here? <laughs> is she struggling with some long-haul COVID brain fog? No. She's not saying, uh, who are you? <laughs> I mean, after all, this was her plan, right? I mean, she's expecting any day. To, I can just imagine Naomi's got the binoculars out. <laughs> right? She's wanting to know how this thing's going to go. It's not like she's just, you know, in a stupor. Oh, who are you? I, what happened? Where am I? <laughs> I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> no. She said, who are you? Are you Ruth the Moabitess? Are you get, some of you are getting it. Adam just got it. Are you Ruth the Moabitess? Are you the mourning widow? Or are you Mrs. Boaz? And I believe she would say, I am Ruth. And she told her all that the man had done to her. Now in verse 17, we are let in on a little clue that we, did not, we were not privy to before. And she said, these six measures of barley gave he me. Hmm. 
For he said to me, Go not empty into your mother-in-law. Boaz is speaking code here to his mother-in-law. Do you remember when Naomi had gone to Moab, you know, and nothing but bad things had happened for 10 years? I mean, one tragedy after another, right? Elimelech dies, and Kilion dies, Machlon dies, and... Orpah decides to go back home. And now it's just her and the Moabite daughter-in-law. And when she gets back into town, what do they say? Is this Naomi? Looks like her. But man, those last 10 years have been rough on this chick. She looks different. Is this Naomi? And what did she say? Don't call me Naomi, but call me Mara. For I am bitter. And remember what she said? She said, I went away full, but the Lord brought me back empty. And what did Boaz say as he was placing the six measures of barley upon Ruth? He said, don't go back empty into your mother-in-law. See, even though he and Naomi have had no dialogue heretofore. It's just been him and Ruth. But he sends a message to her. And he says, Naomi, things are about to change. Notice her response. She gets it. I love it. You know, I love it when, when you can communicate with folks. And you don't even have to say a word. Like sometimes I can just look at you and know what you're thinking. And you know what I'm thinking. That's a dangerous thing. And some of you, you've been married to your spouse for so long. You can just look at them and tell what they're thinking. For the good or the bad. <laughs> you can just look at them and tell. Naomi received Boaz's transmission. <laughs> he was giving her Morse code and she said, I roger that. She says to Ruth, sit still, my daughter. You know, that's got to be the hardest thing on earth to do, isn't it? That's the hardest thing in the world to do is to sit still. As I was going through my studies and looking at this whole idea of sitting still, I'm reminded of Exodus 14, where Moses has got the children of Israel. He's got two million people at the edge of the water of the Red Sea, and Pharaoh is pursuing hard behind them, and they're afraid, and Moses looks out over the expanse, and he said, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Because God's about to make a way where there seems to be no way. I'm reminded of Psalm 46.10. Psalm 46.10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. You know what that, that phrase, be still, in the Hebrew means? It means not just to, to remain you know, in a posture of not moving. It means take your hands off. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Not at you, but to you. Take your hands off and let God be God. How many times have we tried to help God out, and every time we do, it ends up a mess? Amen? Every time. And you can go through the Bible. Every time you try to help God out, it ends up in disaster. Always. God doesn't need our help. He doesn't. And it's so tempting to try to help him out because we don't like to wait. It's hard. 
But Ruth, Naomi says to Ruth, sit still. Now from this point on, Ruth, her active part in the narrative is over. And now it's going to be the Redeemer who's going to go to work. Boaz is going to be the one who's going to go to work. Sit still. Be still. Stand still. That's the word for somebody here today. Somebody, some of you are worried about how things are going to work out, and it's real tempting to get involved. It's real tempting to get involved and try to help God out. God doesn't need your help. God created the earth in six days, and he rested on the seventh, which brings me to my next point and my final point. Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he has finished the thing this day. How many days did it take God to create the heavens and the earth? Wow, interesting. When did he rest? Seventh day. How many measures of barley did he put on top of Ruth's head, Boaz? Six. He said, Ruth, take this back to your mother-in-law. And I want her to realize that she needs a new perspective on things because she's not empty. She's full. You guys are going to go from being gleaners and beggars and paupers to living the good life. In the words of George Jefferson, we are moving on up to a deluxious apartment. <laughs> we are moving on up. And I believe the six measures of barley was a code letting Naomi know I'm working and I'm not going to rest until I see this thing all the way through. Glory to God. You know, God is not just the author of your faith, but he's the finisher of it. You know what Paul says in Philippians? He said, being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the Lord is going to finish the work in me and in you because he is faithful. Amen? All right, so let's apply this really quick. How does any of this apply to us? Well, we know that we have a kinsman redeemer, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he loved us so much that he, he came to this world willingly to die, to pay the price. And that price was his blood. The price of redemption you should do a story on redemption sometime, a word study, or redeemed. Paul says you were not redeemed. You've been redeemed uh, with, with a price. You're not your own. Peter says you were not redeemed with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. You and I have been redeemed. The price of redemption has been paid, but it must be appropriated. And how do we appropriate it? Well, the same way Ruth did. Same way Ruth did. I want you to just walk, walk through this really quickly with me. Uh, she, she, uh, she washed herself. She anointed herself. She laid aside the widow's garments. You and I are to lay aside our garments of sin and put on the robe of righteousness. And she, how did she approach Boaz? She came humbly to his feet. She came humbly to his feet. And she petitioned. I'm reminded of a scripture in John's gospel Jesus said all that the father gives me will come to me and he that comes to me I will in no wise cast out 
And we see that played out in the story of Ruth and Boaz. God is drawing Ruth to Boaz, and there's not, there was not an inkling uh, in Boaz's mind that he would ever turn her away. You know, God will not turn away a sinner that wants to be saved. Do you believe that? That means today, if you're here and you want to be saved, you can, you can just lay aside every objection. Lay aside every thought in your mind. Well, God, you know, I've done this or I've done that. You don't know my past. It doesn't matter. If you come to the altar or right where you are, you don't have to come to the altar. I'm convinced this altar sometimes gets people confused because they think they come here and they get saved. Listen, I got saved at home. There's a lot of people that come to an altar and they don't really get saved. They just pay lip service to God. The, the sincerity. Have you ever come to the feet of the Redeemer, the Lord of the harvest, and said, have mercy on your servant? Whatever you want me to do, remember what Ruth said to Naomi? Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Have you said that to God? Have you said, you know, we're, we're, we're real fond of this idea of Jesus as Savior, but we're not too keen on this idea of Him being Lord. Have you come to Him and say, Lord, I'm not just giving you my Sunday morning. I'm not just giving you a little bit of my time. I'm not just giving you a little bit of my finances, but God, you have the whole thing. Brother Lynn sings a song about the rooms. The, the, there's, there's rooms that we have in this house of ours. We've all got that one room we don't want anybody to see, right? We, we've got that room that we, we like to keep secret. We like to hide. And the, the, the rooms of our heart are the same way. We have things we don't want God to... Listen, God already knows. And he says, if you come to me... All of you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. But there may be somebody here this morning, and you've just kind of given up hope that things will ever get better. I believe Naomi was in that spot just a few chapters ago. She thought, how's this ever going? This is a hopeless situation. Here I am, a widow with a, with all, with a Moabite daughter, daughter-in-law. I mean, that's a double whammy. Here she is, the outcast of society. Nobody wants the Moabite. Nobody wants the Moabite in there to come to Christmas dinner with them. Or they wouldn't celebrate Christmas, right? It'd be Hanukkah or something. But they, they wouldn't invite the, the Moabite girl. She's in a hopeless situation. Her and Ruth both are. But they found in their desperation that when they cried unto the Lord, God would answer their prayer. And if you're in that position this morning, if you're wondering if, if there's any hope for you to have a better day, I want to give you hope today. We talk a lot about the Trinity. Uh, and when I say the Trinity, Paul says these three remain faith, hope, and love. We preach a lot about faith. We preach a lot about love. But what about hope? Hope is a powerful, powerful force in this world. And God has ordained it. I want to give you hope today. If you lost hope, I want to give you hope that your, your tomorrows are better than your yesterdays. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. That's the truth. If you are a believer in Jesus, your worst days are behind you. I don't care what happens to you in the here and now. Your worst is behind you, and the best is yet to come. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then this is as good as it ever gets. And what a sad thought. What would you stand? And I see the song queued up here, and I want you to obey it just, uh, just as you are. Don't try to get yourself cleaned up. You bring to God your brokenness, your mess, and let him make a masterpiece out of it. The altar is open. Would you come?
I hope you've been encouraged today. I hope you've been blessed by the Word of God. God's Word is powerful, it's alive, and it will not return void. It will always accomplish the purposes that it was sent to. I hope you have a, a blessed afternoon. We are having a singing tonight at 6 p.m., is that correct? 6 o'clock, so I hope you can make it for that. We're going to be blessed uh, with some worship time, and uh, you won't have to listen to the preacher tonight. How about that? Be good stuff. But we're going to have a great time of fellowship. Remember also Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Hebrews. We'll be in chapter 3, and I uh, hope to see you there. A lot of good things are coming along. A lot of good things are, are, are in the works. God is at work, and we just love him. We thank him so much for his grace. My ask Brother Lynn Ray if he'll close us in prayer.